0: Thanks for listening to the Sunday teaching podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. All right, everybody doing okay tonight? Mm. It's kind of how the weather feels outside, so that's cool. Um, okay. So if you will, we're going to jump right in open to either Genesis one or revelation 21. So you either get to choose, choose your own adventure night. We're going to be in the first chapter of the Bible or the last couple chapters of the Bible tonight. We'll make a couple quick stops on the way. Um, but if you weren't here last week, um, then, then tonight might challenge us a little bit. Even if you were here last week, tonight might challenge us a little bit because we're facing some kind of common presumptions and common assumptions about eternity that that have kind of woven their way into christian culture church culture and because eternity is really confusing we just don't really push back on them or we go ah sure that sounds great to me but but what if what we've been taught about eternity has left us feeling kind of hopeless and what if it's wrong and so we're spending a few weeks this spring uh diving into that this all started with this box magical eternity box no it's a box that says ask big questions that our junior high kids the leaders have been encouraging junior high kids to ask big questions junior high kids what were all your questions about stuff both stuff and eternity so here's what we're going to do we're, we're we're making this very exclusive junior high only box open to everyone for just four short weeks so call now but wait, there's more. No, this is, this is for everyone. Uh, as we talk about this kind of stuff, if, if it brings up other questions, which is fair for all of us to admit, because it's not like junior high kids are the only folks who misunderstand eternity, if we're real honest. So as you have questions, we'll put this in the back, and you can ask your questions as well. And if you know the answers to all the questions, then you can come teach tonight. So that'll be great. Um, so that's what we're doing. Um, as we start, as you're in either Genesis 1 or Revelation 21, uh, I want to uh, let you know this This week is a weird month for me personally. Um, one, again, winter apparently is back today, um, and so I hope you got your coffee as you walked out saw you come in with your coffee. You're good to go. Um, but also, last weekend and next weekend, I'm going to be in British Columbia, which is in Canada, if you've not heard of it. Um, and if you've never been, I just I commend it to you. Um, it, it, British Columbia is just one of the loveliest, most beautiful places on earth, and, and they do a lot of work. To keep it that way, just as a maybe it's because I'm a just Texas farm boy and grew up in this simple place where the grass is mostly brown for a lot of the year. Um, But the first time I went to to Canada, British Columbia, you've got a place like this in your mind, I'm sure. But the first place I went, it's like a whole new world. It's like people will go to British Columbia because they have mountains and oceans. And they have some of the best ski in North America, like a mile, they would say kilometers apparently, but it's like a mile away from whales in the ocean. We have zero of those things. Um, And when I was there last week, someone asked, what what do people come to Texas for? It took me a while. I was like, I think it's barbecue and Tex-Mex. Like, that's all we have. We don't have any natural beauty, so we're going to fatten you up and send you home. That's as much as we can do. And I stand by that. That's a good idea. Um, The exit from the Vancouver airport this is what you walk out and the very first thing you see It's like a curated natural art exhibition that is just welcoming you to Canada. By contrast, you've been to DFW. You know what you walk out and see? It's that. <laughs> so again, just just by contrast, there's more beautiful places on. Earth. The downside, though, to the natural beauty in British Columbia is that people worship it like beyond environmental activism, like it's an obsession to the point where you can Google this. There is currently a movement to bestow the rights of personhood on a city park in Canada. I don't know what that means. I don't know how it would work, but they're trying to make this natural land area and give it the rights of personhood, one of which means you can't do anything to the land unless you ask it for its permission. So there's that we we're not going to do that in Texas. Again, barbecue and text mess. that's all we got. But there's also an upside to that. As weird as that might sound, and even without many people in Canada claiming faith, Vancouver's less than 30% Christian, the longing for natural beauty, the longing for preservation, actually echoes something very biblical, even if folks don't know. And so just to be clear, like tonight is, is not a, an environmental activism kind of sermon. In fact, if anything, like that call would be too low. Um, Tonight, instead, is again the second week that we're considering our eternal hope. And and last week, Matt shared just from kind of Western enlightenment and Greco-Roman thought and this kind of stuff, six common views of heaven and hell and eternity that are deficient. And then he shared how the truly biblical view offers a better vision, a more real vision, a more right vision for our afterlife. So I can summarize Matt's very... I can inappropriately summarize your sermon in like one sentence. Uh, What Matt said last week is a wrong view of eternity leaves us hopeless. It's one of the reasons that so many people around us have such hopelessness. And tonight we want to start into a couple weeks of saying, what if we redeemed, what if we had a redeemed view of eternity? and, And what if that redeemed view of eternity restored some of our hope? That's what we want to do for a few weeks is go, our eternal hope actually speaks into our hope here. And so the, the aspect of eternal hope that we're going to chat through tonight is all around where we will be. Where are we going to spend eternity? Okay, so to start, I'm going to read part of Genesis 1. You're welcome to read along with me. But, but even if you read along with me, write down words, write down uh, phrases or think through phrases that God used to describe the very real world that he initially created kids We'd love for you to write down some things too. What does God say about the world he created? You can draw pictures of things that the world, uh, that God created in the world. Here's how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. or the heavens, it's the sky that we see. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens, so the waters on the earth be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so and God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit and which is in their seed and which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth and it was so then skipping down to verse 14 notice there's already light in the world but God said let there be lights lowercase plural in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be signs and for the seasons and for days and for years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so And God made two great lights, the greater to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was what? It was good. You know this pattern here? There was evening and morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Down to verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And then verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Y'all, this is the word of the Lord. All right. What did you see? What are some things that that God uses to describe his original earth, his original creation? Yes, ma'am. He says it's good. You know how many times he says it's good? So many times. I didn't count, but it's a lot of times. It's not just one time, right? Good. What else? Kids, adults, what do you see? How does God describe his earth? What does he do? What happens? He creates it. God creates it all. That's amazing. What else? There's a lot of details in here. We read a lot of chapter 1. We're going to do the same thing just to prep you in chapter 21 of Revelation. But, but to what Travis said, like, like let's not move past the very opening lines. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's important. We're going to come back. God did call creation and everything in it good. I mentioned, and just tuck this away for a minute, there was light before there were lights. We'll come back to that. Anything else you noticed? Order and structure seem very important. Yeah, it's good. There's not a lot of chaos happening in original creation. yet, Yeah, God just said it and it appeared. How Did that happen for you? How are you going to make dinner tonight? Lasagna. Doesn't work that way. God's power is on display here. Here's the deal. In in its original design, in its original design, the physical world was good. Everything that God made was unified and existed for God. You want to do one more thing? What is it? Yeah, he made people in God's image. That's great. That was kind of the climax of his creation. So God cares for everything he made and he gave people a special place. But also we exist within this greater story of God's creation. So we're like the rest of God's creation, also we have a special place in it. So God created everything good. Everything was unified. Everything existed for God. In fact, a lot of theologians note that in Genesis 3, which is where everything goes bad, sin doesn't just break our relationship with God. It also breaks our unity with one another, and it also destroys our unity with creation. In Genesis 1, and we didn't read Genesis 2, but it fleshes it out even more, we're called to cultivate the land. We're called to, to have dominion, to have loving stewardship on God's behalf. But part of sin's result is in Genesis chapter 3, I think this is verse 17. Yeah, God tells Adam, cursed is the ground because of you because of the sin in pain you'll shall eat of it the days of your life thorns and thistles shall the ground shall natural creation bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of its field The, the whole point is that the first chapters of the bible does god describe creation as good or bad it's good before sin entered the world creation the physical world was good last week Matt mentioned that Plato, which is a shaping thought of all Western, Western society, said everything physical was bad, everything spiritual is good, but if we go back to God's original creation of the earth, it was all good. The physical and the spiritual were intertwined. On a different day, we'd also talk about how emotional and relational aspects were intertwined. We'll save that for later. Physical, the physical world, like the spiritual, emotional, relational world, became broken. Creation did not sin, but creation was impacted by sin. Cursed is the ground, God said. The Bible talks often about famine and and floods and fires, earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes as we see. Warm April Saturdays turned to frozen April Sundays just overnight, apparently, today. Whether you like the term global warming or not, earth is verifiably hotter and getting to be More dangerous. This is our present reality. But what about the future? That's past. We know what the present's like. In the last chapters of the Bible, we see how God describes eternity, and we start to see why the location of eternity is hopeful, both now and forever. So either read along with me again parts of Genesis, or excuse me, Revelation 21 and 22, but whether you read it with me or not, Write down words or kids, again, draw pictures of things that describe the physical world that God is recreating. Here's Genesis. Nope. Going to keep doing that, apparently. Here's Revelation 21, starting in verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Let me pause there. What were the very beginning words of Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the what? heavens and the earth. John, looking into the future, says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Little is, is purified. All the brokenness is gone, and the sea was no more. We'll come back to that. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We didn't read this, but do you know who else hung out in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? God was there. God was present. God was engaging with them, walking with them. We'll see that more next week. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, like the sadness kind, not the sunrise kind, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It's, it's certain. It's a promise. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, a child. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then skipping down to verse 10, he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down as out of the heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, as clear as crystal. They had high, great walls with 12 gates, and at the gates were 12 angels, and on the gates the, 12, uh, the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed. Down to verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square, which means it's a cube. Its length is the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width and its, and its height are also equal. He measured also its walls 144 cubits by human measurements and this may be the funniest phrase in all of revelation to me which is also the angels measurements so unlike canadians and americans angels and humans apparently are good with cubits the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass and the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel and the 12 gates were 12 pearls Each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it, and its gates will never be shut by a day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nation, but nothing unclean, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 22, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, And of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, each each yielding its fruit each month. Excuse me, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And the last bit, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Does that sound like good news? It sound hopeful? Right, what are some of the things that you saw? There's some confusing imagery in there, we can admit. What are some of the things that God, some of the ways God describes what's coming in the future? Kids or adults, what'd you notice? Anything? Yeah, City comes out of heaven. That feels like a weird, uh, very like Independence Day old movie where it feels like UFOs are going to appear, right? One thing to remember, and if you weren't here last week, we showed a little video trying to explain a little bit of this. Uh, we talked about how uh, heavens and Earth are, are not separate in physical spaces as much as they are dimensions, if that makes sense. So it's not like there's going to be an eighth continent or like we get to have a spiritual SpaceX to like this other planet, Cloud City, called heaven. But, but it's it's coming down out of the heavens in that there's this dimension that sounds really strange because most of us in the Western world don't think about it, but there's going to be this kind of revelation as if, it, as if heaven, the new heavens and new earth, are going to come out of the spiritual dimension and enter our literal dimension. Sounds like sci-fi movie. But can we admit that's a little bit more palatable than this massive cube dropping down out of the sky and landing on Earth? What else what else do you notice yes ma'am they won't need any light yeah that's right and here's what i wanted to point out in the beginning god created light and then the sun and the moon so somehow even before god created the sun and the moon his light was enough to shine on the earth so because god created all things good There there might be a sun and a moon, but even if they weren't there, we wouldn't need them because His light is so bright. In the same way, He says, there won't be any night. God created days. God created rhythms. And so it's much more of a spiritual sense that we get of saying night, darkness, evil won't be anymore. The same thing is true of the sea. There might be literal waters, but Matt mentioned last week, the seas represented chaos and evil and darkness, and God will say, no, there won't be the spiritual aspects of the dark waters. Again, there's some weird imagery here. There won't be a temple because the whole heavens and earth will be filled with God's presence. Throughout history, people have worshipped the sun and the moon, but you know what the sun and the moon have done? is just pointed toward a greater glory. That's what's going to matter. So again, we're not, we're not entering this different space, but, but, but it's these merging together of two dimensions. Here's the point. In eternity, spiritual and emotional and relational brokenness will be restored. That's what we celebrate a lot. God will wipe away all the tears. There'll be no death, there'll be, more, there'll be no more pain. All the division will be replaced with unity. We, We hear that a lot. What we don't hear as much, though, is that physical creation will also be restored. The bottom line here is that the Christian story is good news for God's people, yes? But the Christian story is also good news for the world and for the physical creation that was also broken back in Genesis 3. There's these two verses that make this clear. One's out of Romans, where Paul writes, we know the whole creation has been groaning together from, in the pains of childbirth. In the next couple uh, letters, he writes that in Christ, God was reconciling what? The world to himself. Yes, this is humans and also all creation, not counting the trespasses against them. And he entrusts to us the ministry of reconciliation. This, this is, I know we're dwelling here for a long time though. But you and I long for things to be right in so many areas of our life, don't we? We long for restoration. We long for redemption. And we trust God's promises to make spiritual and emotional and relational things right again. What the Bible teaches is that similarly, God promises to remake the whole world. God is not a God of destruction. He's a God of redemption. He's not a God of destruction. He's a God of restoration. Sin and brokenness lead to death in humans and in the rest of the world. But God is about new life. And this is why this sounds so weird to most of us. It's because the most common view of eternity is summed up in a super happy song that says, One glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. Again, that's, that's just not what the Bible teaches. I get to get out of this place to this spiritual cloud city planet called heaven. In other words, that view says God is one day going to get us the H out of here. But what the Bible says instead is that God is purifying his people and the world and will one day push all the H out of the earth and we get to live a new, perfect, fulfilled life here. Because hell is the summation image word of brokenness, idolatry, evil, brokenness, I already said, sin. God is cleaning and removing us and his world. In Christ, you and I are promised restoration, not by our efforts, but by God's. Similarly, God's creation and the world will be restored. Not by its efforts, not even by our activism, but by God. Does that make sense? And there's a lot of weird imagery in Revelation. I fully get that. But that, as far as we can tell from the Bible, is where eternity will be and what eternity will be like. But understanding that truth, if you're willing to go there, we also have to admit it raises other questions. Like if that long-term promise in place is true, what about about now? What happens when people die? What about souls? What about this thing called heaven? Because we've all heard when we die, we what? Go to heaven. It's the one answer. Well, the happy answer. After all, Jesus tells the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, so here's the best we can tell as far as putting the different pieces of the Bible together is that there's there's kind of a two-step, two-stage post-death reality, both for people whose faith is in Christ and not. I'm going to put a, a, a... Matt did a chart last week. I'm going to do a little diagram for us today. Okay? It um, goes history starting at the bottom, going up through eternity. Okay? The, the, the simplest way that we can piece together, what the Bible seems to say is that there will be a physical death, which is the wage for sin, and that body and soul separate. And so the body enters this this temporary state in the earth, and the soul enters a temporary state too. So for folks who trust God's promised Messiah both before Jesus came in after the, the, tr- the trust, the promise is the same. If we trust God's promised Messiah, we enter into what the Bible calls paradise or Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom is a way that the Old Testament talks about it. It's even, it's even referred to as heaven sometimes. But then at Jesus's return, bodies and souls reunite permanently as we enter with God, reenter the new heavens and the new earth. Weird? If that new two-stage reality, a temporary heaven and earth, body and soul, and then eternal heavens and earth where they're reunited, if that seems odd to you, think about it a little bit like childbirth. Like there's a gestation period that is a temporary first stage. The baby is very real and yet not ready for the full life that it will enter into. But then comes a second stage, at our first birth, when God's ready and has fully formed us, we enter into this life. The same seems to be true for God's rebirth. The New Testament even uses a lot of labor and delivery imagery to speak of eternity. That makes sense? Any questions? I told you we're going to go deep tonight. Need to pause? Follow me on this. That seems to be the two-stage reality, but again, only the two-stage reality for folks whose trust is in God, promised Messiah in this life. And so there's a second two-stage reality for folks whose trust is not in God in this life. And it's a little bit equal and opposite. The Bible uses words like Hades and Sheol and Gehenna for the temporary soul reality for people whose trust is not in God, is not in the promised Messiah. There's a literal place called Gehenna. It's a trash heap outside of Jerusalem. It's a place that is just the image, the summary of desolation and decay. And it's from the word uh, Gehenna that we get the literal term hell. And so in one sense, it's not wrong to say people go to heaven and hell when they die. They seem to be real spiritual entities. They're just not our eternal destination. The second eternal step for people whose faith is not in God's promised Messiah is what the Bible calls, we read this in Revelation 20, the lake of fire. And again, there's a lot of imagery in Revelation. It's hard to pin down nearly as much on this as even the parts we can pin down. But here's some of what the Bible talks about as it relates to the lake of fire. That's from Revelation 20. The dead were judged. So the dead, everyone who's in these kind of stage one holding grounds, heaven and hell, the dead, all the dead, were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were with it. Chaos did. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. So there you go. Chaos and Hades, the first stages, gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the temporary were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. And just a couple notes here, this, this, this thing, this lake of fire, this coming together of spiritual and physical dimension that's equal and opposite, it's, it's eternal. It seems to be eternal like the new heavens and new earth. The new heavens and Earth are about rebirth, but the Bible calls the Lake of Fire a second death. We all experience a first death, physical death, the wages of sin. This is a second spiritual and eternal death. And then the other verse up there notes that in God's original design, the Lake of Fire was actually meant for Satan and his followers. God, God doesn't design it for people, But people rebelled against God. And so, as Revelation shows us, the distinction between eternity in the new heavens and new earth versus eternity in the lake of fire is is all related to God's right judgment of sin. Everyone will be judged. And what Revelation doesn't make clear, but what I think I don't have to convince you of from the rest of the scriptures, everyone will be found guilty, imperfect, Revelation 21 showed a a short list of the kinds of folks who would not be allowed in God's new heavens and new earth. Everyone is judged. Everyone is guilty. And so the difference for eternity is a question of, do you trust God to take your judgment for you through the blood of Jesus or not? Matt said last week, we don't like to think about hell. We don't like to think about God's judgment. But, but here's the irony. I thought a lot about this this week. We love the idea of judgment in just about every other area of life. Is that fair? We love it because judgment is about justice. They're, they're, they're immediately intertwined. If someone wrongs you, what's the one thing you want to do? Well, one of the happiest things you want to do is make it right. There's other things you might want to do against that person. But, but if someone wrongs you, you want it to be made right. That's justice. If someone hurts or harms or degrades another person, we love justice. We love to see accountability for people's actions. We love judgment. In most areas of life. But man, we don't like it. When it comes to God, who's the most right judge, pursuing perfect judgment and justice for the most wronged things we've all done against him. And so again, the lake of fire is originally for Satan and his followers. They, they rebelled, they, they chose their own way over God's perfect design. The same is simply true for folks who are going to join Satan as followers for eternity. And this is hard to palate, but but let's at least acknowledge God's not mean and doesn't send people to the lake of fire. Tim Keller says that all God does in the end with people is give them what they want most, including freedom from himself. Because in other words, people who want life without God receive eternity without God. Is that harsh? It's the ultimate fairness. It's judgment. It's justice. It's giving them what they want. And so again, however literal or not this image is of fire, let's also remember that the greatest agony of eternity without God is just that. It's it's being without God fully. In the new heavens and the new earth, he's walking with us. He's saying, I will be your God. You will be my people. It's restoration. So those are some aspects of what happened after we die. Again, I'll fully admit it's confusing. This is hard to grasp. There are some things that I'm saying that we don't like to hear. And so frankly, we just don't think about it often. We don't dwell here often. But it's important because on one hand, like we need to know what God teaches. There's plenty of mystery in it. But there's also some things that God brings out far more clearly than maybe even we want him to. But also a right view of what's going to happen in eternity should and must instill in us two things. And one is hope and the other is urgency. Hope and urgency. One identity that God gave us in Jesus' first coming, his life, death, resurrection, and reign, is what Second Corinthians calls ministers of reconciliation. That's part of our identity. We see this in Second Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So, so that whole where we're headed, it's already started. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling what? Again, the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Because of that, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you hear the urgency in that? For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear the hope in that? A right view of eternity instills in us hope and urgency. And so I want to close with both sides of these verses. On one hand, you and I and anyone who's in Christ, you are a minister of reconciliation. Yours is to pursue and give glimpses of, of the full and final reconciliation that will inhabit this earth one day in, in every relationship we have and in everything we do every day during this life. Like if if people who live in British Columbia's broken version of God's world, if it gives non-Christian people a reason to care about creation, shouldn't we have even more? reason to give glimpses of some better future. God's reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, we get to join God's reconciling work. We get to pray for and pursue God's kingdom come, God's will being done, which it will on earth as in heaven by displaying and declaring the good news, by seeking the welfare of our cities, by stewarding God's creation, by restoring broken relationships and broken physical world and broken emotions and broken everything. All that and more is the work of reconciliation. On the other hand, these verses say multiple times things like, hey, all this, all this, all the reconciliations from God. Through Christ, God reconciled you To himself, we implore you be reconciled to God. Y'all, eternity is real. And we don't say things like this a lot, but judgment is coming. The lake of fire and eternity without God is real for Satan, for his followers, and for anyone who rejects God's perfect way and doesn't put their trust in God's promised Messiah but chooses their own path but the new heavens and the new earth and eternity with God, that's also real. And there's not like a short VIP list. It's open to anyone. But the one way into those gates, which are always open for the record, because God is bringing people from all nations to himself, the one way in is to accept God's promised Messiah, and to follow God's perfect way, and to put your faith and give your life to Jesus. Because it was his perfect life that gives us a standard, and gives us a picture of perfect reliance, and perfect obedience, and perfect perfection. That's what our judgment's going to be based on. Did you meet Jesus's standard? And guess what? It was Jesus's death that pays for our lack of reliance and our lack of perfection and our lack of obedience as Jesus took God's right judgment for us, for you. And it was Jesus' resurrection that gives us a glimpse of that eternal life. When Jesus came back, he walked this earth, embodied, physical and spiritual reconciled together, and he's going to exist that way for eternity, and we get to join him in that? There's no second death in Jesus. And it's Jesus' reign that, that we see now in part, but it is coming one day in full. Again, not in some disembodied angels with harps and cute little wings in a weird cloud, but on earth as it is in heaven forever and ever Amen. That's our eternal hope, and it all centers on Jesus, and that's what we're going to celebrate today as we take communion. So if you will, take the bread, and maybe today as you take the bread, and before you dip it, if you haven't dipped it yet, when we say the words, this is his body broken for you, this is his body broken for you, hear it with not kind of the past and present reality that we often think of, but hear it in in light of our coming eternity, that when we say our, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, the only way that our names are there is because of Jesus taking the punishment that we deserve, taking the judgment that everyone on earth will be judged by, and saying, no, not him, not her. He's mine. She's mine. My body was broken for her. I took his or her sin. He or she doesn't have to be broken. There's no second death. And dip it in the juice or the wine. And as you hear the words, this is my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, maybe take it tonight in a new, fresh way with all the confusion. Again, I know we went deep and quick. But there's eternal life because of the shed blood of the Lamb. So we take and eat, take and drink. This is Jesus' body broken for you. This is his blood shed for you and for many that you may have forgiveness and life, not just now, but for all of eternity. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hang out in the back. I'll hang out here as long as you want to tonight. Because if you have questions, I'm happy to chat. Can't promise answers, but this is a little bit of where God shows us we're going. Ding. Father God, thank you for these truths. Thank you for that as as hard as some of them might be, they are still truths. God, thank you for giving us more of a glimpse than, than maybe some of us know of where eternity is and what eternity looks like. And God, would you do... In us tonight, what you've been doing for so many throughout the centuries, in showing us a little bit of eternity, happy and sad, and truly joy filled and lament worthy, would you give us both hope and also urgency? God help things that were untrue conjecture, anything to be washed from our minds, help details that don't matter to be washed from our minds, help us to pay attention to the things that you want most from us tonight as we understand a little bit more of our eternal hope and the hope that it gives us today. It's in your Son's name. Amen.